I talk with one of my producers, Steve Zinsmeister. We recap Cobra Kai Season 3, talk about what we like, didn't like, where they're going with Season 4. We get into the Super Bowl and some prop bets. And then we wrap up the podcast with Steve's favorite sport and a sport I enjoy. It's going to get underway here soon. Baseball, they call it. It's all coming up right now. I'm not going to say the name of the podcast. You know what it is. Pa-pow! Joseph, can you hear me? Steven. I can hear you, Steven. Do you have, like, a sound effect for that? <laughs> I just have Kesha queued up in here for you. Kesha. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. This is great. Do you want to hear it again? <laughs> yeah. Steven. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's the start of the song. I've got it. Uh, I could play it here 50 times. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So three major things I want to jump into today with you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one. I think you know what's coming here. We're going to we're going to talk some Cobra Kai. You and I have oh, fantastic. Uh, oh yeah, you and I have uh, discussed that a little bit off the air. Yep. Uh, and then I'll prep you right now for number two and three. Number okay. three, I'm sure you'll be ready for. We're going to talk a little bit of baseball. I want your your big thoughts on uh, the 2021 season and uh, what you're looking forward to. Uh, do you think the season is going to go off relatively without a hitch? Let's say, uh, you know, compared to the NFL season, which got all their games in. What do you expect for MLB? And and the second thing, the second thing I, I hope you're prepared for, or at least can be prepared for, the Super Bowl, Stephen. We're going to talk some prop bets. Oh, fantastic. Oh, yes. Aren't you just so looking forward to it? I'm jazz, dude. Do I sound good? How about how about the sound? Oh, of course, you sound incredible. I'm already recording. Great. You're great. Oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. What uh, What were you doing when I uh, sent you the the uh, zero minute warning text and said, "Hey, what are you doing?" <laughs> what was I doing? Um, pulling sheets out of the dryer. Mm. Um, I have accomplished a lot today. Joseph. This this is the life of producers, lady and gentlemen. Yes. This is uh, what we do. Has this thing already started? Is, is that how this works? Yeah. Yeah, we're oh, already fantastic. going. Fantastic. This, this is not a professional um, operation like the Ain't No Fang podcast, Stephen. We just get in, we go, we have fun, and we get out. No, I like it that way. Yes. Um, I accomplished so much today. I, uh, um, I did all of my laundry today. Nice work. I did mine last I've, night, late. I've made meals for the week. Really? A meal prep? Which I do. Yeah, I do meals ahead of time. I, I started doing that probably like three-ish years ago. Okay, I, I do that as well. What are the meals coming up this week? I never see oh, you I, eat at work. I almost exclusively make meats. So I make chicken and I make beef most weekends. But you don't bring them to work? No, I don't bring them to work anymore. So you just make them so you can walk in the door and eat them? Yeah, essentially. I make them all at once, mm -hmm. and then that way, each day, I eat the same thing for every meal every day, pretty much, with a few varieties for dinner. I, I'm I very like similar. I'm, I'm pretty similar. I, I mix it up a little, but 
tell me if you agree with me on this. I like to meal prep because I can't imagine sitting there for 45 minutes or an hour and dash of this, two scoops of that, you know, a cup of this. That's not me. I like to form and grill or air fry or just throw it in the oven and leave it for an hour or two, make six to 20 of whatever it is, and then I can eat for a couple of weeks. Yeah, no, I get that. I totally get that. And I think there's an element of that for me, mm-hmm. but I do enjoy cooking. I'm not particularly good at it, um, but the girlfriend and I love to come up with different ideas and do different cooking things. So for the fir- for instance, this past week was the first time I ever made pot roast on my own since I was a kid and my parents would make pot roast sometimes. In a crock pot? Um, yeah, well, yeah. Sh- so my girlfriend has this instant pot that I use. Yes. The Instapot. Um, I've, I've heard of it. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So I got that lying around the apartment now. And, uh, so that was an experiment. Um, something that I'll definitely want to figure out in the future, but yeah, I mean, you just go to a store and I'll just grab like whatever meat I could find that looks significant. That's under 10 bucks, you know, cause I don't want to spend too much on that for myself. Um, and, uh, just grab like a $7 roast and make that. And that's, that's food for like, you know, lunch for three or four days i'm down for that any day Hmm. i approve i like it yeah so i have i make about like 10 chicken breasts every weekend and those are uh those are actually breakfast every morning um i think you know that i wake up at an ungodly hour every you're up day. at like 4 30 uh, 4 a.m yeah i wake up at 4 30 hit the alarm and probably really get up at like 4 45 most days and i grab a chicken breast out of the fridge i eat that cold and then uh, an apple every morning, apple and a chicken every day. Gotta say, that's a depressing breakfast. Chicken for breakfast, I I, I cannot yeah. agree with that. Yeah, growing up though, I was a cereal kid, so like I would eat like you know, Crispix and like Chex and like not the like fun marshmallow chocolatey cereals. I always had like the boring ones. And then at some point, I just couldn't stand milk anymore after my childhood was like pretty much over. And so I don't know. I just I said, what do I like to eat? And I realized apples. I buy about 15 apples a week. And usually that lasts me the whole week. And then for some reason, chicken breasts were just so easy to make and they're good enough for you that I figured, why not? Why not? Is that a bad breakfast? Are you saying that it's not a good breakfast? I do not approve of uh, chicken for breakfast, but, uh, okay. you know, that, that's that's fine. I pretty much eat the same breakfast every day, too, which is usually a banana that gets mocked around the office because people think it looks disgusting, even though I like to say it's the Joe of bananas. Gross on the outside, perfect on the inside. I wouldn't say that about yourself, but no, you do eat brown bananas though. Like, do you oh, specifically, sometimes black? Do you buy them that way, or do you just let them sit around until they get weird? Have you ever seen a banana available like that in the store? No, I guess not. So you must just sit, let them sit around. I put them in the fridge because I like them cold. Okay. What do you and they just get, How long does it take to get brown to your liking? Uh, about a week. A week? Yeah, but it's perfect on the inside. They actually last longer in the fridge. They just looked awful on the outside. Huh. Huh. Interesting. I'm not a big apple guy, though. I I try to have a couple every couple weeks. I'm not into bananas as much, um, 
because I think I like crispy things. I like crunchy things. And like, so I like the red apples, like the dark red apples, because those things are crunchy. Mm -hmm. Where do you stand on the honey crisp? That's my go-to apple. No, no, I'm anti honey crisp. Mm. Uh, I'm anti green apples. I'm anti yellow apples, although I would eat one over green. Okay. Um, But the perfect, like right in the middle is those pink ones with the stripes. Those are the ideal apples, in my opinion. Okay. Um, let's talk some Cobra Kai now that we've got our, uh, our cooking portion of the podcast out of the way. I like that. Um, you've seen all of season three, correct? I saw all of it. Yes. Wonderful. Okay. And you've obviously seen season one and two of Cobra Kai. Yes, I did watch those before I watched season three. Well, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> checking to make sure. Um, rank them for me. If I ask you to rank seasons one through three, how would they rank? Oh, that's so tough. I think I think I'm going to go season 2 is my favorite. Really? Yeah, and I feel like there's this stereotype that whenever there's like a trio of something the second one is always the worst. Yes. You know, I I picture like Lord of the Rings like the two towers nobody liked or yep. for some reason. Um but yeah, I think I like season 2 and I'll and I'll tell you why. I think it's because by the time you got to season two, you were already familiar with all the characters. So you were somewhat more invested than Mm -hmm. you were in season one um, because you're still learning so much in season one. And that doesn't mean it make it a bad season, but you know, you don't know the inner workings of Johnny and what he's been up to since the eighties. You don't really know how Daniel got from where he was to all of a sudden he's running a car dealership with his family and, you know, he's got the, these kids and everything. You don't know so much. So I think the first season was fun because you, you're just catching up on so many things and they're just hammering you with 80s rock music that you forgot about until uh, you watched the show and how much you loved it. And then also the finale of season two, I think, is what really set it apart is because they just took this wholesome show with tension building up throughout and then all of a sudden they just hit you in the face with it and will literally hit all the kids in the in the face and there it, it was like uh did you ever see the movie uh the raid redemption i did not the raid redemption i think it came out probably like 2011 maybe 2012 and i saw it when i was in college it's completely in japanese no oh, it sounds like and, my kind of movie and it's and it's basically the story of this building. It's like a 10-story building. And at the top is the mob boss. He's on the top floor. And the police are going in at the bottom floor. And there's this one guy in the police who is like this martial arts master. He was supposed to be the next like Bruce Lee, basically. And he goes in and the team gets wiped out. It's an ambush. And he basically just fights his way to the top floor. He just, just total martial arts movie, kick, punch, using sticks and chairs and everything. And he just beats the crap out of people for three hours straight. And that's the whole movie. And that's what I felt while watching Cobra Kai's season two finale. And I loved it. And, and it left you with this cliffhanger and uh, it really set up season three, the best. And I think three, I put last as my least favorite, but I don't really have a reason for it. So I'm a little different from you. I go season one was the best, season three, second best, season two was the worst, precisely because of what you loved was my least favorite part, which I also didn't like about season three 
uh, there will be spoilers at this point, people. If you haven't seen it, too bad I have. <laughs> um, I didn't like the crazy fight scene at the end of season two that went on for like 15 minutes. And then they did more of that in season three. Yeah. Um, it's okay for a couple minutes, I get it. But I'm more of, gosh, I'm, I'm really going to reveal myself as a softie now. My favorite part of TV shows and movies is not the action sequences. I like dialogue. Give me good dialogue and advance a story for me, which is what I loved about season one is there was lots of flashbacks. They brought back the tournament. There was a clear winner. You didn't really know where they were going to go with season two. Uh, Season two was fine, and I liked the cliffhanger at the end, but the fight scene went on way too long. And season three, I thought there was a good mix of storytelling a lot of throwbacks flashbacks all that stuff and and i actually just listened to a podcast today that talked about season three and where they could be going with season four and i'm intrigued where they go with it obviously i I presume there's going to be the tournament in season four i mean it hasn't come out yet but you have to assume that happens um that'll be very exciting but why did you like how long did that fight scene go on? It was at least <laughs> ten minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, it felt like a twenty minute sequence, probably. You know, you know what I think it is too is I'm not a huge fan of the um high school drama who likes who, who's dating who, who's mad at who, uh who's friends with who. I'm not into that. So I, I don't I don't care that uh, Sam is dating Miguel and then she's dating Robbie. And then, you know, Miguel's now with this other weird, uh, new girl. I'm not into that. Like, I don't care about any of that. Just give me a fight sequence. And I had been waiting for it for two full seasons. I mean, they did at the end of season one, kind of have the tournament thing, uh, which they kind of brushed aside. It wasn't this, this big fanfare because my favorite moment, I think the thing that most people think of when they look back at the original Karate Kid movie is the ending where they finally get the chance in the ring to fight and Daniel, you know, kicks Johnny in the face. And I had just been waiting for that moment in this show. And I think it finally shone through at the end of season two. I'm totally with you that it was a long drawn out fight sequence. There's no way that would ever go down in a high school teachers would have been out in the hallways in a moment's notice. It's completely unrealistic. A guy getting kicked over the railing. Uh, there's no chance of that happening. So, uh, it is ridiculous, but it is also something that I was just kind of waiting for the whole time. And I think that's why I liked it. Not only kicked over the railing, kicked over the railing survives, which we don't know at the end of season two, but we realize in season three makes a seemingly full recovery if you right. or I went flying over a railing back first and landed on stairs, I'm willing to bet we would be dead. <laughs> and, yeah, I would die. And you're right. It, it would not happen. I picture back, like, I go back to my high school, mm-hmm. and my high school was enormous, and, and I'm talking in size and number of students and everything. It was just ridiculous. Um, but if I got kicked over the railing from the second floor and landed on the first floor— you would die like there's no there's no surviving that in my opinion so uh yeah it was a little ridiculous and you kind of have to spend the first couple episodes of the third season just kind of dealing with the recovery of miguel and you know he's going to recover because there's no point in 
keeping him alive if you're not going to make him recover. Um, so that was just my opinion while watching it. Where do you stand? Now rank these for me and give me your thoughts. Miyagi-Do, Cobra Kai, and revealed in season three, Team Eagle Fang. <laughs> yeah, what a great name. Um, rank in terms of what? Is there a category or is it just... Which ones I Look, like this most. is the Out of the Hat podcast. It can be your enjoyment. It can be badass factor. It can be wherever you want to go with it. And in truth, I need to run to the kitchen and grab my water bottle, so I need you to fill time for 30 seconds. <laughs> so take it think, and run. All right. I think I, I'll, I'll try to do what I can here. I think kind of led throughout the course of the show to believe that Cobra Kai is where the cool kids are at. And, uh, and I get that, that that's on par with the original movies. Um, Miyagi though, doesn't seem to have a lot of structure to it because for a, a karate dojo that is kind of like, you know, supposed to be the good guys, Daniel doesn't do a whole lot of senseiing, if that makes sense. He doesn't spend a lot of time with his students. It feels like in the show. And I know he's got like a car dealership and stuff, and Johnny doesn't have anything else going on in his life. So he only focuses on his students because he's kind of living vicariously through them. But I, I don't, I don't find Miyagi-Do to be that impressive, mostly because their sensei doesn't really do much with them. And he goes to Japan in season three. And I thought that was a nice, you know, callback. And, and that's really all it was, was callbacks to former characters and former storylines from uh, other movies. But I'm not impressed by Miyagi-Do. Now, I'm really not impressed by Eagle Fang or whatever the hell it's called. But, uh, but I do anticipate that that's going to kind of be um, this fusion of the two for the necessary fight that's going to end up happening. I'm guessing it's going to be a Miguel versus Robbie tournament type of thing. Or maybe somehow, uh, um, I don't know, maybe somebody else works their way into that competition. So like on. Hawk or something. You're going with John Kreese. The king of the bad guys over the the two adult main characters in Johnny Lawrence and Ralph uh, and uh, Daniel LaRusso Ralph Macchio okay but you didn't say rank the senseis no I did I did you not said rank the dojos and if well, I'm ranking the dojos I'm thinking to myself so well, who's still Miyagi in Cobra Do Kai who you think is so awesome it's not that I think there's somebody in there that's awesome. If you're saying rank the best fighter in each dojo, then I think that's a different story. Who does Cobra Kai I, even have now? They've got Tori. I think that's about it. Well, technically, uh, Robbie is Cobra Kai. Ah, ah, good point. Good point. Yes. And yes. I think Robbie is kind of discreetly the best fighter in the show. And another reason I hated season three is because they completely neglected Robbie the entire season. Well, he was in and, like Juvie. Yeah, and they kind of stuck him there. And I didn't like that because season two, what made him so great is that his story arc in the beginning is, you know, you're trying to figure out how is he going to rectify this relationship he has with his father. And also now he all of a sudden has this interesting relationship with um, Daniel as well. So how does he kind of balance the two when they're arch rivals from, you know, basically childhood mm -hmm. and... I think that was one of the more interesting story arcs to me throughout the course of the show. So then for them to discard him in season three made no sense to me because I find him to be the most interesting character on the entire show, aside from maybe Johnny. And so uh, that bugged me about season three for sure. So I, yes, if I'm ranking just straight up, which ones are the best dojos, I got to go with Cobra Kai because they continue to recruit the best fighters in the show over and over and over uh, Miyagi-Do obviously is the good guys I get that but uh, 
again, Daniel doesn't spend any time with his students, so how is that a good dojo? Yeah, I'm going with Miyagi-Do for the dojo that I can relate the most to because I am pure and wholesome and good. Um, then Eagle Fang, even though the name is just ridiculous. and then And then Cobra Kai, even though I would agree, they are the most badass, and they definitely have the coolest logo, no doubt about it. But I just have a tough time relating to them. And and now, like, the characters who I really like, they're they're either in Eagle Fang or they're, they're in Miyagi-Do. Like, I like LaRusso's kid, Sam, but I don't think she's a very good fighter. But I think she's an interesting person. And I like Miguel. I, I don't understand the, the hawk, like, okay, he's involved in the fight in season three. And then mid-fight, he decides, oh, I don't like this. I can beat them up, but you guys can't. I don't, oh, can't have this. And then he joins them. And Yeah, and- where, was, where was that sensibility when they were in the laser tag place and he's just kicking the crap out of people and then breaks his best friend's arm? Yeah, they, they he, struggled there. He didn't let there. that overcome him at that point, but then all of a sudden in somebody else's house, he decides, oh, you know what? I think I'm a good guy. Correct. That was weird. So- Two big questions. Um, I'll, I'll just spoil. So I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast, and he was talking with Shay Serrano about season three. He's had uh, William Zabka on as well, Johnny Lawrence, uh, to talk about season three. And Shay Serrano and Simmons are obviously talking about how they think there's going to be a tournament. They speculate that Miguel's dad is going to end up being, have you seen all the Karate Kid movies? Uh, I think I saw one and two and part of three. Okay, so they speculate that Miguel's dad is going to be Terry Silver from Karate Kid 3. Okay. Who was like the the chief bad guy in season three. I'm sorry, in, uh, in Karate Kid 3. So... Mm-hmm. That would be interesting, and they and they allude to that because they say Kreese is on the phone with the guy, and they're talking about Vietnam, and and uh, Terry Silver was in Vietnam with him. They reference that in the third Karate Kid, but making him Miguel's dad certainly would be interesting, though not unheard of. I think that would be a nice twist. I think the other thing you just brought up that I thought was interesting at first and then got ridiculous was the John Kreese flashbacks to Vietnam. Um, I was really interested in that at first where, you know, he has a, you know, a love interest back home and, you know, it kind of makes him a relatable human being for once. I thought they were really good flashbacks. Even you're going to say the snake pit was too much. Yeah, the snake pit was a bit much for me. I actually, I like the snake pit. I was okay with it. The stuff that I think is ridiculous is he just seems like an assassin with those students, and he's got the the snake right there in the dojo where they're training. That's nuts. Yeah. That's that the part crazy. that I find more ridiculous. The Vietnam stuff, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I did. No, I, I did like the Vietnam stuff. I just thought the end game there with him up on the you know uh fighting his uh what do you call him commander or captain whatever he was that um, that, I thought, that i struggled with yeah i'll give you that. yeah it's a really difficult i know that that's like a common theme in a lot of 
uh, mentor relationships in movies and film, uh, movies and TV is that, you know, like overcoming your, your mentor who ends up being the bad guy and you have to like overcome that. And I, and I get that crease kind of becomes that bad guy after eliminating the mentor. And I don't know, does that, does that kind of flash forward to the possibility of Robbie somehow defeating crease or is it, or is it Johnny defeating crease in some way or shape, some way, shape or form and he becomes that, but I, I can't anticipate that Johnny will become the bad guy in the show. That's not how they're building him up at all. So it's an interesting uh, juxtaposition. It's what always worries me the most about WWE, which you know I love, is they have to put out a weekly product. And at times I feel like WWE doesn't know where they want to go and they just advance the football a little bit each week. I feel like... I don't know if the people at Cobra Kai know where they want to go with season four. And that's how they kind of ended up with that weird, like, oh, well, we'll just have Hawk be uh, a good guy now because we need to do something here with this fight scene that makes it different. Like, he could have just stayed a bad guy, and that would have made perfectly fine sense to me. It would have been better than having him just turn in that way. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that, too, because seasons one and two, especially season two, was kind of a game of chess where the pieces are flipping sides constantly. And, you know, Robbie's a good guy, then Robbie's a bad guy, and Miguel's a good guy, and Miguel's a bad guy, and Hawk's a good guy, and then he's a bad guy. And um, so they've been flipping back and forth so much that, and I, most of it is when one flips, another flips to even it out. You know, it's it's not like everybody's on one side. And it kind of feels at the end of season three that, pretty much everybody's on the good side except for Robbie and Tori and they're the only two left and they are the more troubled characters, you know, when it comes to their personal lives, you know, obviously both of them have parental, you know, distanced relationships that are causing a lot of these yeah, issues. We've got mom, and the drunk Johnny, the, the a-hole who's had his own drinking issues. And then with Tori, right. her mom is sick. Is that the deal that's going on there? Yeah, and taking care of her is it yes. her mom. Yeah, I think it was her mom, and uh, and that's why they they latch on to Crease. And I get that because Crease was that for Johnny at a time when you know we're now learning backstory of Johnny's uh, life with his parents, and you know I think it's his is it his stepdad I think, um, and so you're kind of learning that as well as we go along. So it makes sense they're they're falling into kind of the same trap with Crease that that Johnny fell into, but I would have thought they would have aligned more characters and Hawk would have made all the sense in the world with Cobra Kai. That way that wasn't just the two of them. What I like that they're doing is they're putting more characters out there that we need to care about as far as the kids. So when the tournament comes around, like with the karate kid, there was really only like two people who we really cared about. It was all about, LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence. And yes, there were a couple other uh, Cobra Kais, but we didn't really care too much about them, and LaRusso plowed through all of them. Now, with Cobra Kai Season 3, there's a lot of characters who we care about. Who do you who do you think they're setting up in this tournament to be the Final Four? Is it going to be Miguel, Robbie, Sam, Tori? Or does Hawk get in there somewhere? What's the what's the kid who uh, Hawk broke his arm? Eli? Dimitri. Is, Dimitri, yes. Um, does he get in there somehow? There, there's. It's got to be 
those six somehow, right? There's there's other characters who who have had small mentions, but those are the main ones. Or am I missing any? No, I think you're pretty much uh, head on there. But I don't. Obviously, Robbie and Miguel have to end up there. So are they um, the final two? That's I, that's my guess. Tori has this obvious rivalry with Sam over boys and, you know, they always end up fighting. And then there was this whole thing in season three about Sam's panic attacks, which felt like a real attempt by the show to reach a certain audience that, that deals with stress. I don't know if you picked up on that or not too, but it just felt like, you know, like giving a character a really relatable issue issue that a lot of people are going through, especially during this pandemic, not that they could have planned that. Um, but I do think Sam and Tori would make sense, but I don't think Sam's karate skills make sense for a final four in this tournament. No, they're not that when, good. When you have Hawk, who is now on that same side and is clearly the most gifted martial artist in the show, other than maybe Robbie. And I know Miguel is, is supposed to be this impressive guy too, but I mean, if we're being realistic, which I know it's TV, so we're not, but Miguel recovering from a disability where he wasn't able to walk uh, it's pretty fascinating to assume that he's going to get to the final as well. And, uh, but, but a Hawk Robbie final wouldn't make a lot of sense either. Cause they don't have a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff at stake between each other. But here's the problem too. If you let it be Robbie and Miguel and you let Robbie win, that would be twice out of, you know, four seasons. And the only two times they've had a tournament, they'd let the bad guy win both times. Because well, Miguel remember, was the Robbie bad guy. wasn't the bad guy. Well, yeah, Miguel won the first one. And yeah, Miguel right. was the bad guy. Or yeah. at least he was with Cobra Kai, even though he was a good guy. Right. So would they let two Cobra Kais win the only well, two and, tournaments? And now you wonder why I picked Cobra Kai as the best dojo. Um, Look <laughs> here, Stephen. I I don't know that that's how it's going to go down, but I don't. I, I don't either. Feeling, I really don't think Dimitri ends up in a final four. I, that's even in season three. I felt like they brought him along really, really quickly, like in terms of martial arts. And even if you watch the action sequences, he it, he doesn't look all that impressive. It looks like they just kind of figured out some some camera tricks to make him put people on the floor. But uh, but yeah, I think I think if I had to pick a final four, it's Robbie, Miguel, Tori, and Hawk. But Sam makes all the sense in the world against Tori storyline wise. Hawk doesn't make much sense at all because I don't know who he's against anymore. I don't know who who he holds a grudge with because he just keeps flipping. Well, I think his grudge is with Cobra Kai right now, and he's not cool with with Robbie and company. But yeah, he could flip again. And it makes the most sense to have Robbie win, let Cobra Kai win too, and you know, then you just set it up for wherever they want to go with, you know, season five, six, seven, however many they do of this. Because if you have Miguel win a second time, like you said, it's miraculous that he can even walk. And there's the part in season three where, you know, he can't get his foot up to do the kick. And right. we're going to have a guy who can't kick win this whole tournament? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what the first movie ended with. A guy who was, you know, debilitated by an illegal hit and uh, could only stand on one leg, and he won the tournament that way. That's how Daniel finished out the movie. It's the most iconic 
moment in the entire series, both movies and TV. So it's possible that they call back to it in that kind of way where Miguel maybe suffers some sort of injury in, you know, mid tournament and all of a sudden he can't do much. And then Daniel, you know, says the magic words or does the magic, you know, locker room massage that, <laughs> that Mr. Miyagi did. I don't know. That doesn't sound right. A magical locker room massage you, uh, in, in you 2021 I mean. is, you know is out I mean. of bounds. So two more on Cobra Kai. I want sure. your thoughts on Allie coming back. Yeah. And also, when you sit there and watch it, are you like me where particularly when they're in that scene in the auditorium and all of, you know, Daniel LaRusso and and Amanda and Crease and Johnny, they're all there. Do you have these moments go through your head now? Because usually I just watch sports. So when I sit down and watch a series like this, once in a while, a fleeting thought gets in my head. And as I was sitting there watching this a couple of weeks ago, my first thought was, hey, how come none of them are wearing masks? This isn't very safe. <laughs> and then I sit there and realize, wow, dumbass. This this is not, you know, pandemic. This is, you know, TV. They don't they don't need to do that. And right. and this was all filmed before that. But do you think they tie COVID into it? Do you have weird COVID thoughts as you sit down and watch TV now? Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I I don't know if this is a good analogy, but I have those moments when I watch old movies. And at the beginning of the movie, you know, like in the 80s and 90s, at the beginning of a, a movie, they would zoom in on the uh, on the skyline of whatever city they're in. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I see the New York skyline in 80s movies mm -hmm. and it has the Twin Towers and I'm like, well, wait a minute, you know, like that's that's not accurate. And then I remember like, oh, duh, like you know, this movie was made in a time when the two towers were still standing. Mm -hmm. And so I have those moments and I don't know if that's a good analogy or not, but um, yeah, I could understand what somebody thinking that, but I also watch these with the anticipation that they've been in the works since long before the pandemic. I don't know when specifically the season was filmed. I'm guessing part of it was this year, but um, it's not like they could have worked it in, in the moment, you know, and I don't want to see pandemic related content. Like for instance, the other day I saw a preview for a movie called songbird that's supposed to come out this year. I don't know if you know anything about this. It's all about COVID 23. Did you and is, I talk about this at all? I might've brought it up to you the other day, but it's, it's like a, uh, I can't remember who made it's the people who made the purge. Yeah, You must have been movie. the person who brought this up. Yeah, and if you watch the trailer, it's it's like Contagion, that movie that came out uh, maybe roughly like five to ten years ago. And it's like Contagion, but a horror movie. And there's like a couple and the girl isn't allowed out of her house because she might spread the virus and, you know, she might get it. And it's like World War Z meets Contagion. It's ridiculous. And I'm like, they had to have made it during the pandemic. And they're talking about COVID-23, so it's obviously, like, based on similar viruses. And I don't want to see that. I don't want to go through that again. We're already going through it in real life. Um, so, no, I don't really have those emotions while watching a show like Cobra Kai, but I definitely have no anticipation of watching a movie like that. And what about your alley thoughts? What did you think of that? Because when I was watching, I binge watch usually two or three episodes at a time, and... I I stopped before I got to that episode and when I when I started it up at first I thought do I even have the right show on here 
it felt very weird at the beginning. And then yeah. I realized, oh, this is what they're doing. I would have been fine if they just kept her as a more, you know, Facebook kind of, hey, interact with her, but don't actually bring her back. I was a little right. underwhelmed by how they brought Allie back. Yeah, I have this issue, too, because Elizabeth Shue is so good in that show, The Boys. I don't know if you've watched The Boys on uh, Amazon Prime, but um, she was so good in that show, like, as an actress. And it's a very, very difficult show. Superheroes are involved and all this stuff, right? And she's, like, the normal one running the show. And um, she was so good, and then they killed her off in the show. Spoiler. And... I thought it was perfect because they didn't allow it to go on too long. Whereas here in Cobra Kai, I feel like bringing her in was fine. But like you said, like it was prolonged. She wasn't adding a whole lot other than drawing up old feelings for, from Johnny. And the and lunch maybe a little scene bit was funny Daniel. with him where they sat down and, and he ordered the weird dish and she's like, oh, I'll take a hamburger. And, and then he, right. he did the same thing. I enjoyed that part. Well, it's also, too, a little weird for me because watching it, I'm like, those lunches really don't happen. Like, your your ex-girlfriend is going to sit down for lunch with you 35 years later or whatever it is, and and you're just going to talk about how great things were when you were 16? I, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel realistic to me. I have ex-girlfriends from way more recently than 35 years ago, and I couldn't see them sitting down with me, but I don't know, maybe we're not as cordial. Uh, but it felt so out of the blue, and uh, it felt like a real push to get another character callback. But then season three was like that. They brought back uh, his rival from the Japanese uh, storylines. In the, what was that, the second movie or third movie? It was the remember. second movie, which I don't remember very well at all. I remember the first yeah. movie really well, and right. the third movie somewhat. Um, the second one, I don't, I don't remember so well. So they bring back his his rival from Japan, or, or rather, he goes to Japan and he just happens to run into him at a coffee shop. Yeah. Uh, and his sort of love interest from that movie as well. I, it just felt very forced to me. It felt like they were trying to do a lot of callbacks in season three. But I thought they pulled them off all pretty well. It just was okay. a lot of them. Yeah, there were just a lot of them. And uh, to go back to your original question about Elizabeth Shue, I think... I find her to be a really great actress in other things. And this felt like she was kind of pigeonholed a little bit. Like, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of room to, to act the hell out of it. If that makes any sense. Yeah, because there wasn't, I mean, it's a, it's a simple show that people binge watch and enjoy for, you know, 20 minutes to an hour and plow through a couple episodes. And I think it's great. Because it's it's just a, a turn-your-brain-off show. You don't have to sit there and and intently focus the whole time. You can watch it two or three times, and it's enjoyable. It's just easy to watch, and it's what we need in a pandemic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Easy to go through. I mean, I think I watched the whole season three in a weekend, uh, and it's that easy. All right. Now we pivot, Stephen, to Super Bowl prop bets. Fantastic. Do, have you looked at any? Um, I've seen a couple, but I haven't like actively sought them out. Okay. Well, I I have um, perhaps made a few. Okay. I would uh, welcome your thoughts on the ones that I have made. And 
and I can uh, look up some others here. First off, did you see the story involving the national anthem that broke yesterday? No. So there's a reporter from Orlando who was outside of the stadium in Tampa, and he starts a timer on his phone, and a friend sent this to me, and at first I didn't realize what was going on. And then about 10 seconds in, I faintly hear the national anthem being practiced. Oh, that's what that, I watched that video and I didn't hear anything. So I was like, what is this? It just yeah. looked like a guy on his phone. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's him timing the national anthem practice? Correct. And several books, I can't find, you know, the national anthem anywhere. You can still find some bets involving... Will either of the singers, I know Eric Church is one of them, I think. I don't know who the young lady's going to be. Uh, will they omit a word when they sing it live? Will the will there be a, a drive in the football game that is quicker than the national anthem? So there's still some bets that you can find that touch on it. But okay. I can't find any that get into how long is the anthem going to be. Because usually when they post the national anthem, they'll say over, under, Roughly two minutes. Sometimes it'll be like 158, 159, two minutes. Sure. Well, when that practice went down, it came in at 216. Oof. And a lot of books, apparently on Friday, took a lot of action for the maximum <laughs> bet in like a five-minute period when this story started to break, and they frantically took it down. So... uh. I was curious, one, if you saw that. I do not have a national anthem bet, but I, th I thought that was interesting. So yeah. he here's some of the ones that I have. Share your thoughts on these, okay? I I'm just going to say the bet, and you can tell me if, if you'd take you know one side or the other and what you think the price should be, okay? All right. Price of Bitcoin during the game. Meaning goes up or goes down? Price of Bitcoin goes up or down? Yeah, where would you put e the odds on that? What? I don't know. <laughs> First of all, I don't really do odds. I don't know how odds work. This is, that's why you're the perfect person for this. This is great. <laughs> I, I have no clue how. I've never gambled in my life on mm -hmm. a bet. Mm -hmm. I've never done a bet before. But what in the football game would affect the price of Bitcoin? Nothing. Nothing. Unless there was a commercial or something. No, no, no. It's not. But there's not. It's not that that football will affect the price of the Bitcoin. It's just, will the price of Bitcoin go up or down between the start and end of the game? Yeah, I, I guess it's a toss-up then. Let's go up. I, I don't, I don't so, know why not. So <laughs> I went up, which was minus 150, because Bitcoin has been super hot lately. Okay. So I'm banking I'll on I'll take your word for it. I'm banking on the the fact that this, you know, uh cryptocurrency I I just think hopefully over a a 4-hour period it just keeps going up. What makes me nervous is that's one of those things where you could have some huge investor somehow manipulate the market and just sell a bunch of it maybe. So, you know, there's there's really no like central trading when it comes to this stuff. So I'm just hoping, my, my gut just tells me up, Steve. That's, that's I'm going okay. up. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I buy into that. I Honestly, 
the markets are dictated now by people on Reddit. So <laughs> this was the uh, craziest one that I made. Okay. Uh, okay. I don't even necessarily think this is going to hit, but I like the odds on it. Coin toss comes up heads. Chiefs win. Each team scores one or more touchdowns in each half, and the second half has more points than the first half. Yeesh. That was plus 450. Huh. So I just, I, the one I feel the worst about there is will each team score a touchdown in each, in each half? And then I feel second worst about the coin toss because that's a 50 50. Yeah, that one's that one's pretty clear cut. I am confident that the Chiefs are going to win. And spoiler alert, I have a separate bet on there will be more points in the second half than the first half. Okay. I feel pretty confident both teams can score a touchdown in the, in both halves. So then it's all down to the coin toss and at plus 450. Yeah. Right. So that just means for every dollar that I bet, I would get back 450 plus my dollar. Right. Yeah, that's not that doesn't sound like a bad bet. Okay, good. All right. I so I the Bitcoin one, I'm going to say you're about a C minus on that, but but that one I'm going to say you're at least a solid B. Okay. All right. Will either team attempt a two-point conversion? Ooh. I think hmm I don't think so. Wow, okay. Well, I went with reason- yes, but okay. <laughs> The reason I'm going to say no is, and I was thinking about this because I know the Chiefs have a lot of crazy, like short end zone plays that they can run. Tyree Kill can be used in like a million different ways. Travis Kelsey's by far the best tight end in football. So he, you know, short plays are kind of his specialty. But at the same time, I think, I think the Chiefs will be up by a significant enough margin, and I'm talking probably like 10 points, okay. that they won't have to go for two. So really in my head, it's will the Bucks have to go for two? Mm-hmm. I just think I, both teams I don't think they will. score a lot, typically. And mm-hmm. if one team gets a big lead, I think the other team will go for two to try to close the gap. Yeah, that's possible. I, I'm with That's you. Totally I, I favor the Chiefs, but I I I tend to think that a two point conversion will be attempted. Now, there was a podcast I was listening to where the bet that they had was will a two point conversion be successful? And that was like plus two thirty. I like that one even better, but I couldn't find that one. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, that's just a little bit more difficult to accomplish. So, yeah, yeah I think that would be a pretty decent bet. So, uh, I already talked about this one. More points in the second half than the first. I got that at minus 110, so it's basically even odds. Okay. What about this yeah. one? How many sacks do you think there will be in the game? Where would you put the over-under on sacks in the game? Total for both teams. Correct. Um, let's say, well, it's interesting this year too, because my understanding is that the chiefs, both of their starting tackles are out on the offensive line. Well, they moved the right tackle over to the left side because Eric Fisher got hurt. So he's not playing in his typical spot. So there's a chance that bucks can get a nice push on the, 
Chiefs. Now I know Andy Reid can pretty much figure out anything, so I'm not saying that they're you know a sitting duck back there for Patrick Mahomes. But um, I'll say four on uh, I'll say seven or eight. Probably I'll go seven. Okay, I feel pretty good then. I got over four and a half at plus one fifteen. Yeah. Okay. Four and a half. That makes sense. Yeah. So all I need five or more sacks, and I'm golden. Yeah, I might have gone with the high, but I do feel like both of these teams have significant enough defenses, and um, you know, I, I don't put I don't put it out of the realm of possibility for Tyron Matthew to come out of this game with a sack. Okay. Uh, I think he. I think he he takes advantage of those situations when they put him up on the line as well. So they're going to get a little tricky. So here's the last one that I had, and then we can actually talk about the game itself. But really, what fun is the game when you can talk about these ridiculous bets? How many field goals do you think there will be in the first half? I think there will be two. I'm sitting pretty again. I have over one and a half at minus 110. Yeah, I think there will be two. Um, kind of like you were talking about, I anticipate there will be more touchdowns in the second half um, because I think teams tend to get pass happy in the second half of games, mm-hmm. especially when you're trailing. And so I anticipate teams are more likely to settle for field goals in the first half. Um, there's not as much pressure to score in the first half, usually. And also they'll be running the ball more, which typically goes for shorter gains. So I'll say... Yeah, I'll say two is I, over one and a half is is easy for me. I, I would take the over. Man, I'm I'm just coming up gold with with your raw thoughts on on the game. This is good. So, have you seen where the line is at for the game? Do you know? No, I don't know the line. So, take a guess. What do you think it is? Oh gosh, I have no clue. Oh, I come don't even. On. I also don't really know how these things work. You I watch football. I don't, I, I know, but I seriously have never put a bet on a game in my life, so I don't understand the money. I don't understand any of that. I really don't. I've never taken the time to explore it. Um, I'm guessing that one team is minus a couple hundred and the other one is plus couple hundred. No, no, hundred. no. Just, That's just, just, guess. just guess the points, the points. That's all I'm asking um, you to guess. So which team is favored and by how many points? Chiefs by is – it, is it a half? Like is, it, is there a half point on something? Like an over-under? You, or t- you just... tell me. Chiefs by seven. Wow, okay. So it opened, at least what I saw, was Chiefs minus three and a half. And it's currently Chiefs minus three. And it's roughly Kansas City. That translates to like minus 160. So you would have to bet a dollar sixty to win a dollar. Wow. Okay. If if so you ju- if you just did it that way, or you could take the Chiefs minus the three, and then it's, I think that's even, and the Bucks actually have had more money bet on their side lately. So that's essentially they're saying the Chiefs will win by three. Um, that's kind of how novices look at it. That's not actually what they're saying. They okay. just do it there to try to drive the action. And it doesn't mean they necessarily want equal action on each side, even though they would win money there. Sometimes they might want more money on one side, more money on the other, so that they're rooting one way or the other. But yes, that is you know, the simplest way to look at it. 
Yeah, and I find Vegas typically they know more than we do somehow, and uh, they don't get these things wrong all that often. They don't build those huge casinos you know, with off of uh, uh, us getting a lot right. That is correct. Yeah, so I think uh, I think I think the normal person who knows a little bit about football knows that the Chiefs are the more dangerous team between the two, but I wouldn't put anything past Tom Brady. That's that's for damn sure. So I've got the Chiefs minus the three, and typically in games that Brady's played in, typically I go with them. But Tom Brady against the spread in Super Bowls, he's like five and four or six and three. He's not like you know eight and one or anything. It's not like he's undefeated in the Super Bowl. I mean, he's he's lost games against the spread before. That Philadelphia game, they were favored and they lost. Uh, at least one of the New York games, they were favored and they lost. There's been a couple where, and they're almost always close, too. That's the other thing. Like, Brady has not been routed or routed the other side in any of the games. So what's interesting for me with the Brady storyline is yes, clearly far and away the best player that's ever played, in my opinion, most championships, all those things, right? But he's what? He's won five or six? Six. He's won six out of nine. Is that right? I believe so, yep. Yep. And if I remember right, going back through his history in the league, you know, he was in a bunch of Super Bowls early. Obviously, that's kind of how he got thrown to the fire. Um, but then he went a long time without going to a Super Bowl, kind of like that middle prime of his career. He didn't really go to any Super Bowls in the middle. And then he went to a bunch in the last, you know, five, six years. And so he's kind of had this like front end and back end of his career, you know, when you're at your youngest and least experienced and he dominated. And when he was at his oldest and least physically gifted and dominated. And so, I find that to be a really interesting storyline with like within the legacy of Tom Brady is that in his prime he didn't really dominate the league. I'm convinced he's an alien. He he might play till he's 60. He could. Brett Favre played into his 40s. I don't remember what age he was when he finally couldn't do the job anymore, but it, Brett Favre was similar in that way. So do you think do you have any idea what the over-under on points is for the game. Total points. No, I have no idea, but I'm guessing it's in the 60s. little high. 50. Is it? I think it's 56 right now. I've, 56, I, okay. I got it at 57, and I took the under. But, man, does that feel like a lot of points. Yeah, I, I think my final prediction I wrote out yesterday was 34. What was it? Thirty-seven twenty-eight. I think. Woo! Not good for me. Yeah. So I think that's what I came up with. Just you know, based on the average number of touchdowns and average numbers of field goals for each team. And uh, yeah, I anticipate Brady's actually going to have a pretty good game. It's just going to depend on how well players play around him. You know, uh, Leonard Fournette plays a significant role in this in the running game. Obviously, he's got a ton of weapons, which is great. Um, because he hasn't always had that in New England. And so it's a lot of toys to play with. But, I mean, that Patrick Mahomes offense and with Andy Reid coaching it and with – I think Tyreek Hill is the most athletic player in the NFL right now. 
Travis Kelsey, I already mentioned, is by far the best tight end. I just I, I couldn't pick against the Chiefs, and typically they put up over 30 points. The Bucks put up the most points in the league per game, though, this season, I'm pretty sure, so uh, I wouldn't count them out either. But that's why I think that the points total will be so high. Vegas always wants few points and a boring game. That equals a big, big win for them. So if it's 37-28, they will be crying. And uh, people all across the country will be very, very happy because usually people bet over on the props, whether it's catches or yards or completions and points, all those things. And Vegas usually wants the under and the no. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you want to believe as a better or just as a fan in general, you want to believe that the players you love the most will do the best every time out. And uh, I think what I was looking at the other day was um, the over-under for Tyreek Hill's receiving yards. And I don't remember what the number was, but I think it was up around around 100, 100. just under. Yep. Yeah. And realistically, you're like, okay, well, Tyreek Hill is one of the best receivers in the league. Of course, he's going to have over 100 yards in the biggest game of the season, possibly the biggest game of his career. And But then at the same time, you look back at the season and he didn't do it all that much. He didn't go for over 100 a ton of times. He wasn't... uh, you know, he wasn't doing it every, every other game. So realistically, it's probably more likely that, you know, people will go over, but they, you know, should be thinking under. You're probably right. I have a hunch Kansas City routes them. A strange hunch. And usually I think it'll be a close game. I tend to think Kansas City by 14 plus tomorrow. Okay. I could see it being like 40 to 14. Yeah, I had them by nine, I guess, right? And uh, yeah, yeah I, I think I just have a lot of faith in the in the Bucks passing game. I think the running game is the thing that worries me more. So I have a lot of faith that Brady can get the ball in the end zone through the air, um, but I just don't know about the running game, and that's why I don't think that they'll have the time of possession that you need to really eat into the Chiefs So um, because that's important. They played Washington, who is garbage, and then they played the Saints, who Drew Brees just is getting up there in years, probably going to retire. The Packers lost that game right before halftime with that Scotty Miller bomb, and I realized they came back and made it close, and they were down eight, and they kicked that field goal, and sure, so they lost by five, but Brady did not look good in that game. He had, what, three picks? At least a couple. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I still think Brady is able at his age to play at a level that a lot of quarterbacks weren't able to do it. I mean, Brett Favre eventually became, I don't want to say useless, but, I mean, he, he faded very quickly. And he had a really, really great season, probably one of his best, with Minnesota. And then all of a sudden, he just fell apart after that. And, um. I look back at Peyton Manning and when he won the Super Bowl and rode off into the sunset after that. And Peyton Manning, his arm was a noodle. And I think he was under 40 at the time. So, um, yeah, it's it's crazy to look and see some of these quarterbacks now that have been playing basically my entire life. I'm 28. You know, uh, Tom Brady has been the quarterback for, what, 20 years now. And that's almost my entire football attention span <laughs> of my entire life. So, I'm amazed that he's able to do it still. I don't think he's I don't think he's faded the way that most people thought he would. He's not done. No. I, I just think no. the team 
they got some gifts down the stretch too. They were seven and five, and then they got to close the year with the Falcons twice, who were brutal, and the Lions. That's like three free games. And I don't know the other team who they ended up beating in there, but that gave them wins eight, nine, and ten to make them ten and five. And I think they finished eleven and five. I think they won out from the point they were seven and five. Yeah. You know what's funny too? You were mentioning some of the other aging quarterbacks and you talked about Drew Brees. I saw today the story about Drew Brees lowered his contract for next season. He agreed to go from $25 million to the veteran minimum of basically $1 million, um, which all but says he is going to retire and he's just giving the Saints $24 million more to work with this offseason, which mm-hmm. is a nice gesture on the way out. Um, but Drew Brees is another one. I think that we're going through this exodus of great quarterbacks right now. I think that with Drew Brees going down uh, and retiring and Phillip Rivers and I think Ben Roethlisberger will play into this in the next couple of seasons. You know, we're going to see an exodus of these longtime staples. I'm talking 15 year plus starting quarterbacks in the NFL and really making way for this new wave. And I don't think Tom Brady wants to be a part of that. I think he wants to avoid that at all costs. And if he can be the 46 year old quarterback in the NFL, still slinging it and still competing for championships. I, why not? He's making you know, north of 20 million a year. He's got the supermodel wife. He's got, you know, his kids are growing up with him on the field basically. And I think uh, if you're Tom Brady and and you're living life and especially in a more stress-free environment with the Bruce Arians Buccaneers than you were with the uh, hard knuckled Bill Belichick in, uh, in, in Boston, I think you're much better off sticking around in the league. I think he's in a better position to stick around now than he was when he was in New England, if that makes sense. I think he's still got game in him. There's no doubt about that. And some of the league's legends are definitely going away, though I think Aaron Rodgers still has a few years left in him. Matt Stafford is going to be in a great spot in in L.A., most people think for at least a couple years, though. As a Lions fan, I can tell you his health comes into question at times. Matt Ryan, love him or hate him, he was a was he a number one overall pick? He's he's certainly heading you know towards retirement. But there's a ton of young, super talented quarterbacks out there: Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, both super super good. Russell Wilson coming into his own and has been you know very good. And then the quarterback class this year is going to supposedly be great as well. There'll be at least what, five more first-round picks most likely? So I just think it's a quarterback-friendly league right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're having this renaissance of quarterbacks. I think a lot of it has to do with the high school treatment of quarterbacks in the last 10 to 15 years is that, you know, they train quarterbacks so young now. And I'm talking like some of the bigger states that produce the majority of NFL quarterbacks and, you know, like Texas, Ohio, California, Florida, you know, these states are producing tons and tons of kids each year. And there's so many of them that the top college programs have three or four of them a piece. And I mean, you look at just a couple of years ago, you were looking at three or four guys who ended up going pro and they were all at Ohio state at one point, or they were all at LSU together. Or they were all in Alabama together. And, it's crazy to see because there's almost more talent than the league needs right now. Look at Carson Wentz. He almost won an MVP three year, uh, two years ago, three years ago. And uh, Philadelphia's already done with him. 
he helped them go to the Super Bowl. I know he didn't play in the Super Bowl. Obviously, that was Nick Foles who won the game. But um, so quickly we forget how good Carson Wentz was at a time. And then Jalen Hurts plays in a couple games, runs for 100 yards in a game, and all of a sudden we're interested in him. Ooh, shiny object. And uh, and now there's rumors this weekend that he's going to be traded in the next couple of days. So I anticipate there will be a lot of quarterback movement this this season. And I think 2021 will be looked back upon as the year that everything shifted in the quarterback realm and everybody had to go and get their guy. And we're going to look back at this year as the year that every team either did or didn't get the right guy when all the pieces were moving. So baseball, I know that's your sport. That's what you care about the most. You're a baseball guy. What do you like for 2021? What do I like for 2021? Well, I'll start with what I don't like, and that's that it appears that there's about six, seven teams that are really, really going for it. And there's a couple that I think are, are, are trying to stay relevant. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, a team like the Washington Nationals who won the 2019 World Series and then, you know, kind of fell off the face of the earth in 2020, but it was a short season, short sample size. And now they're signing guys, but not big names. They're just bringing in guys to try to supplement what they have. But there are teams like the New York Mets have spent a ton of money this season or or traded for Lindor, which costs you a lot of money. So it's basically like spending money. Who has a um, shot besides the Dodgers, though? I saw they got Bauer the other day. And yeah. you look at that pitching staff, it's loaded with Kershaw, Urias, Bu- Walker Bueller, uh, now Bauer. Uh the pitching staff is loaded. They've still got a great hitting lineup with Mookie Betts, Seager, uh, Bellinger, and others. Who has a shot besides the Dodgers? Well, I do actually still believe in the San Diego Padres within the same division, which is kind of crazy. Um, the Padres are a little more up and coming and less proven than the Dodgers. Obviously, the Dodgers have played in several World Series in a row. They won the most recent World Series, which, yes, I do count as a real World Series win. I do. I'm not one of those people who says that the 2020 season deserves an asterisk. Uh, it was different for sure, but they still won the World Series. They're still the world champs, and they were the best team in baseball. Um, I believe in the Padres. I think what they did this offseason was – very significant. And I think the Dodgers even looked at what the Padres did and maybe that inspired them a little bit in the Trevor Bauer negotiations. I knew that they were looking for a shorter deal for Trevor Bauer, who was the best pitcher in baseball this past season. He won the national league Cy Young, obviously Shane Bieber in the American league won his, but I think Bauer had a little bit more dominating stuff. Bieber is um, still up and coming a little bit. And I think that the Padres went, uh, did the same sort of thing. And if you look at the two teams between the Padres and the Dodgers, the, the starting rotations are so comparable because the Padres added Blake Snell, you Darvish, two incredible starters uh, at the front end. Uh, Denelson Lamette is still an awesome pitcher. Mike Clevenger, who doesn't even, uh, he won't even pitch this year because of an injury, uh, but he's a number one starter on most teams in the, in the American or National League. Um, you still have Chris Paddock. Um, who is a great young pitcher. They still have Mackenzie Gore, who's the best left-handed starting pitcher prospect in baseball. They have other good prospects uh, who are pitchers. And then look at the Dodgers, comparable. You mentioned all those guys. They still have David Price, who at his peak was one of the best pitchers in baseball and is one of the highest paid in baseball still. 
um, but doesn't have the greatest postseason track record as of right now. Um, and then also they have Dustin May, who is maybe the best right-handed pitching prospect, if you can still call him a prospect. He's been up a bit more than Gore has. So both teams are just absolutely stacked to the moon right now and paying out the wazoo for both of the rosters. I'll give you that. Um, the Dodgers are going to be favored for the World Series again, and they probably should be, especially after signing Trevor Bauer to what is essentially a two-year deal. I know it's a three-year is deal. Is it a two-year deal or is like, it a one-year deal, basically? It's a three-year deal, the right. way that it worked out. But the I money thought there total, were opt-outs after each of the first two years. Correct. So the way it works out is it's three years, I think a hundred, a little north of $100 million dollars. So if you broke it out by average, it's about $33 million a year, which would not be the highest contract per year annual average value or whatever they call it. Um, but he has opt-outs after the first year and the second year. Because you'll remember, Trevor Bauer is the one guy who has said in the past, I will never take more than a one-year contract. And the reason he has said that is because he likes to bet on himself. And he wants to be the best and he wants to make the most. He'll make $45 million in 2022, and he'll make 40 this upcoming season, which makes him the highest paid player in baseball for the next two years. Unless somebody signs a deal that pays them over $45 million a year next season, uh, which would be insane. So he's going to take those two years, make his $85 million, and then get out of there and uh, probably pick up another big contract after that. So who besides the Padres do you like this year? Anybody? The Dodgers, the Padres are the obvious ones. The New York Mets spent a lot of money, but that doesn't always equate to easy wins. I mean, we've seen plenty of teams who, who have gone above and beyond spending money and then it just didn't work out for them. Uh, the Padres were actually one of them in the past. Uh, the, the Miami Marlins were another one that didn't work out. So I do like the Mets in their division. What's interesting is every division has a team that's really, really going for it except for the NL Central wasn't doing anything, and I mean anything, until the St. Louis Cardinals traded for Nolan Arenado from the Colorado Rockies. So that made that trade alone made the NL West more winnable for both the Padres and the Dodgers, and it made the Central look like the Cardinals have a clear path to the playoffs. So I believe in the Cardinals making the postseason this year. I think that's a pretty good estimation. American League... Uh, the Yankees are still putting a ton of money into that team, but they've switched up a lot in their starting rotation. They went with Corey Kluber, who was one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball over the last, I don't know, five to 10 years, but he's often injured and that's a real bet on him. So they've made a couple of moves like that, that where they brought in good pitchers, Jamison Tyon from the pirates, but he's also formerly injured. So a lot of upside, a lot of risk on there as well. I do still like the Rays. I know they just made the World Series. They're never the kind of team to go out and spend a lot of money. They don't bring in flashy players. But the Rays, I, I don't know what it is, but they're always competitive. So I don't, I don't put them out of it. And then the Chicago White Sox might be my favorite roster structure in the entire major leagues, other than maybe the Padres and Dodgers. But the White Sox have something really special brewing. Um, and even outside of the big names that they've signed, there's young guys in Chicago, too, that – uh, you've really got to look at, there's a guy, Michael Kopech is a prospect that's been a prospect for a long time, but Hard Michael, thrower. Kopech, Michael Kopech is known as a flamethrower. Yes. He throws over a hundred. I love Michael Kopech. And once he finally catches on in the major leagues, I think he will be dominant. Um, so that's a guy that maybe you look out for 
Luis Robert is one of the best players already in baseball, I think, in, in terms of talent. And I think he'll finally put it all together and have a really great year. Eloy Jimenez is a phenomenal guy who uh, is in the corner outfield for them as well. And so I, I like the White Sox. I think that they're going to put together a special season. So I haven't heard you mention your Cleveland formerly known as Indians. Or are they? do they still get to be the Indians this year, or are they just the Cleveland baseball team? So they decided that their team name is a little uh, a little bit racist and a little offensive, uh, yeah. but they're okay with keeping it for the next year. Okay. <laughs> so, so they're going to be the Indians this year. And my Tigers, too. Yeah, I mean, I, what about them? <laughs> really, there's not much left in the Tigers Major League lineup. Oh, come uh, on, they're loaded. Lineup. No, I, I would say they're not. Uh, Spencer Torkelson, it. yeah. Championship. I don't know that Torkelson sees the majors this year. I, mm. I kind of, I kind of doubt it. Although he's come along very, very quickly and is widely considered a top three prospect in baseball. Um, they're going to have him play third base, which is probably the right move for them. Um, but yeah, not a lot to love about the Tigers. Not mm. a lot to love about the Indians either. After trading Lindor, um, you still have one of the best pitchers in baseball and Shane Bieber, and quite frankly, one of the best young rotations in baseball. Zach Plesac's a great name. Um, Aaron Savale has been good. Tristan McKenzie's coming along. You got Jose um, Ramirez. Jose Ramirez is one of the better hitters in baseball and a very versatile player. Could play second, could play third. He's going to play third um, like he normally does. And they just re-signed Cesar Hernandez to play second base. But the Indians have this thing where they don't believe in outfielders. <laughs> so they haven't had a good outfielder since, oh man, I don't even know who the last good one, Grady Sizemore maybe. But um yeah, I think that the Indians are difficult because they they haven't spent anything. They're clearly um, – I'm not saying they're tanking, but they're not looking to spend a lot of money right now. Their salary for the entire team is below Trevor Bauer's $40 million that he'll be making this season. Hmm. All righty. Stephen, time to say goodbye. Well, it was phenomenal talking with you, Joseph. Oh, it was great to have you here. Kesha's going to sing you out, okay? Oh, boy. Steven. Here comes the second one. Steven. Oh, the harmony. Steven. All right, Steven. We'll talk to you on Monday here at work. All right, Joseph. Thank you, sir. Oh, no, 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 thank you. Just thank, thank you for gracing me with your weekend presence. Oh, you're more than welcome. Anytime. Be well, buddy. Same to you, sir. Goodbye. Why won't you call me? Steven, why won't you call me? Yeah.